Great. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jess Fye. I'm a large cap biotech analyst at JP Morgan. Delighted to be continuing the conference this morning with Al Nilam, joined by a number of members of the company's management team up on stage. And just as a housekeeping note, we don't have to switch rooms for Q&A this year. Woo. We're going to stay in this room. There's going to be mic runners if you want to raise your hand and ask a question. If you don't want to do it the old-fashioned way, you can also enter a question electronically on the portal, and I can read it off the iPad up here. Um, or you can listen to my questions if you don't want to ask your own. Um, but with that, I will pass it over to the company CEO, Yvonne Greenstreet, for the presentation. Thanks, Jessica. I have to say it's wonderful to be here in person to give us an opportunity to share and update on our progress at our Nylum. And I'm delighted to be joined on stage with my colleagues, Akshay Vajnor, our president, Jeff Poulton, our chief financial officer, Pushkar Garg, our chief medical officer, and Tolga Tangula, our chief commercial officer. Just a heads up, as you know, during my remarks this morning, I'll be making some forward-looking statements. Now, as many of you know, Alnilam has been the leader in advancing RNAi therapeutics as a whole new class of innovative medicines. RNAi therapeutics selectively target messenger RNA that encodes disease-causing proteins, and by doing so is able to act upstream of established classes like small molecules and monoclonal antibodies. And we've established over the last uh, 20 years or so a modular and reproducible approach to designing new medicines. And with 100% of the human genome, in theory available for targeting for RNAi, this technology represents a substantial opportunity to significantly expand our ability to fight human disease. And leveraging this, we truly believe that our nylum is poised to become a top-tier biotech in the years to come. So you can see here, 2022 was a, was a banner year for our nylum. We had many, many important achievements, particularly proud of all these achievements in my first year as CEO. But I'd like to highlight three on this slide. Firstly, the excellent progress with our commercial performance, with strong growth in all of our wholly owned brands. We got landmark results from the eagerly anticipated Apollo B phase three study. And then, in the summer, the regulatory approval and launch of Amvutra, our fifth RNAi therapeutic. Now, 2023 promises to continue this momentum with the first ever clinical data from an RNAi therapeutic in the CNS and pending regulatory review expansion of Onpatro into ATTR amyloidosis with cardiomyopathy, this will mark an important inflection point in the build-out of our TTR franchise. So we're now an established commercial organization. As I said, five RNAi therapeutics approved, notably in under four years, a remarkable achievement. And here you see results from the four products that we commercialize, Onpatro, Amvutra, Givlari, and Oxlumo. And we're really pleased with the continued steady growth we've delivered across this portfolio. We pre-announced strong preliminary fourth quarter and full year 2022 global net product um, revenues. And in total, 
we achieved $894 million. Now, this represents a year-over-year growth of 35%, with Q4 quarter-over-quarter growth of 13%, a particularly impressive result. And these results reflect a couple of things. They reflect robust patient demand for our innovative and transformative products, as well as excellent commercial execution. Now, we're absolutely thrilled by our launch progress with Amfutra, approved this past June in the U.S. for hereditary ATTR amyloidosis patients with polyneuropathy. In fact, we've added 400 patients on Amfutra in just the fourth quarter last year, and this is double the patient ads in prior quarters achieved by Onpatro. And you know this reflects the attractiveness of the product profile to physicians and patients. We'll provide 2023 product revenue guidance and much more color on our commercial performance in our earnings call in February. But of course, we look forward to continuing this trend of commercial excellence across our marketed portfolio. In addition to our commercial assets, our Nylum has a robust, high-yielding clinical pipeline with a diversity of opportunity that you can see here across more than a dozen programs at all stages of development, seeking to address unmet medical needs in, in rare but also in prevalent diseases, silencing gene targets not just in the liver but also in the central nervous system. You know, this is an industry-leading uh, platform and arguably one of the most fulsome clinical pipelines in the biotech industry today. You can also appreciate on this slide the substantial product ownership that we've retained for our pipeline, where we have global or 50-50 rights for the vast majority of our programs. Our focus R&D strategy, driven by the selection of genetically validated targets, has led to an impressive probability of success rate. And as you can see on the right of this slide, Currently, our cumulative POS from phase one to three over the last decade is a remarkable 62%. And this is far greater than industry averages of around 5 to 10%. This is a real testament to the power of our platform combined with our focus on genetics. Now, we've talked about our piece of fifth by 25 um, uh, vision, and this is really aimed at establishing our Nylum as a top-tier biotech company with transformative medicines and rare and common diseases for patients around the world and with a robust and high-yielding pipeline of first and or best-in-class product candidates from our organic product engine, while at the same time delivering exceptional financial performance. We believe that 2023 is going to have many milestones that's going to move us even further along in our quest to realizing this exciting vision. So how do we get to Pisa Frith by 25? Well, I'd like to share with you a few key potential growth drivers that we believe can propel us on our journey to Pisa Frith by 25 and beyond. And I'm going to spend a few minutes just touching on each of these. Starting with a potential near-term expansion of our ATTI amyloidosis franchise, where we aim to become the global leader in delivering impactful and highly differentiated medicines to patients with all forms of ATTR amyloidosis. And most of you know ATTR amyloidosis 
is a debilitating, progressive, and oftentimes fatal disease caused by misfolding of a TTR protein, which accumulates in and damages a wide range of tissues, including the heart, the nerves, and the gut. Now, we're just at the beginning of this exciting growth opportunity for our TTR franchise. We're building off a foundation with Onpatro, where Onvutra is off to a strong initial launch, following, as I said, approval this past June. Next, with positive Apollo B results in hand, we submitted the SNDA for Onpatro to potentially expand the label to include the many patients with ATTR cardiomyopathy. We expect a decision from the FDA by the end of 2023. Thereafter, we see yet further expansion of the TTR franchise as we look forward to outcomes data for my Helios B study and the potential approval of Vutrisran for ATTR with cardiomyopathy. And ultimately, ALN TTR SEO4 from our Icaria platform, which provides the potential for a once annual dosing regimen with a greater than 90% knockdown of TTR. And we were thrilled uh, last year, truly thrilled, to deliver positive results from the Apollo B phase three study, where Patisaran demonstrated important benefits in patients with TTR cardiomyopathy, hit on the primary endpoint with a statistically significant and clinically meaningful improvement relative to placebo in the six-minute walk test at 12 months. Also achieved a statistically significant and clinically meaningful improvement relative to placebo at 12 months on the Kansas City Cardiomyopathy Questionnaire, the study's first secondary endpoint, and a key measure of patient self-reported health status and quality of life. These are important measures, validated regulatory endpoints, of how patients function and feel, and remarkable results when you consider this was just a 12-month study in 360 patients with cardiomyopathy. Importantly, in the study, Patisaran demonstrated an acceptable tolerability profile. We're very encouraged by the overall safety of Patisaran, including cardiac safety. Also shown on this slide are some exploratory results that highlight the clinical importance of the primary study results. In the 12 months of the Apollo B study, patisaran treated patients were less likely to experience disease progression than those given placebo according to biomarker-based expert consensus criteria. And in a planned cohort of patients at the same time frame, approximately a third of patisaran treated patients experienced a reduction in cardiac uptake of technetium, an indicator of amyloid in the heart. Now, collectively, we believe that these results validate the therapeutic hypothesis that RNAi-mediated silencing of TTR has the potential to result in a disease-modifying impact on the cardiac manifestations of ATTR amyloidosis and further enhance our confidence as we look ahead to Helios B. To that end, we also intend to expand the Amvutra label to include the treatment of cardiomyopathy and hereditary and wild-type ATTR amyloidosis patients. And we're doing this through the Helios B Phase three study with Vitrisaran. Helios B is fully enrolled, has an endpoint of all-cause mortality and CV events, assessed after at least 30 and up to 36 months. And pleased to say we're on track to share top-line results in early 2024. 
Now, if this study is successful and pending regulatory review, we believe that Vutriceram as a quarterly, subcutaneously injected therapeutic could potentially become a best-in-class product for the treatment of all forms of ATTR amyloidosis. And like the rest of you, we're eagerly awaiting the conclusion of this study. Now, taking a step back and, and reflecting on the TTR franchise overall, we believe that we've successfully established a strong foundation in this space over the last four-plus years. And given this foundation, we're now well-positioned to potentially serve the needs of a much larger ATTR amyloidosis patient population with an established suite of commercial, clinical, and manufacturing capabilities, which could also be efficiently scaled to support our other programs addressing prevalent diseases in our pipeline. And now this is the key second growth driver for the company, our expansion beyond rare diseases to also address some more common disease areas. Now, encouraged by the efficacy and safety results from the many studies we've delivered with RNAi programs, we plan to leverage our platform to also address the many unmet needs of more common disease settings like hypertension, NASH, and diabetes. Importantly, the pharmacological features of RNAi therapeutics are uniquely suited for the treatment of chronic prevalent diseases, where durable effects enable infrequent dosing to maximize adherence, and where clamped pharmacology creates the potential for improved efficacy and outcomes. Now, first out of the gate in this regard is what we believe is a very compelling opportunity to address unmet needs in hypertension. Hypertension, as you all know, is a highly prevalent disease with over 200 million people with primary hypertension in just the seven major markets. And despite the widespread availability of treatments to manage the disease, more than 70% of hypertensive patients are not at their target BP goal. An increased cardiovascular risk is further exacerbated by variability in blood pressure control, inadequate nighttime control, and poor adherence to therapy. And all of these factors together contribute to a substantial risk of CV morbidity and mortality. In fact, hypertension is the number one preventable cause of cardiovascular morbidity and mortality. And this highlights the critical need for new differentiator therapies that can provide tonic control of blood pressure and improve adherence. And Zalbisram is our investigational RNAi therapeutic for hypertension, and we believe could transform the treatment of this disease. Our phase one data highlight this potential. Outstanding results where we've demonstrated clear preliminary evidence for greater than 90% dose-dependent knockdown of angiotensinogen, a greater than 20 millimeters of mercury reduction in systolic blood pressure at six months following a single injection, tonic blood pressure control over 24 hours, and durable reductions in the mediators of hypertension, namely ANG2 and aldosterone. And these attributes offer a highly differentiated profile from all existing antihypertensives, including RAS inhibitors. We're announcing today that our Cardio 1 Phase 2 study is fully enrolled, thanks to uh, our, our clinical colleagues, as of December. And we're excited to, de to deliver top-line results in mid-2023. We also look forward to Cardio 2 results 
at or around year-end 2023. So great progress with Zalbisran. Now, we also look forward to, to growth opportunities and value creations, not just from programs that we are driving, but from programs that were discovered by our nylum, but driven by partners. You can see a few of these here. One is ALN HBVO2, or VEA 2218, led by VEA Biotechnology. They're evaluating combination regimens as a potential functional cure for chronic HBV infection. And we're looking forward to additional phase two readouts this year, and we'll be making an opt-in decision ahead of phase three. Another program, uh, partnered with Sanofi, is for Tusran. This is a first-in-class RNAi therapeutic targeting antithrombin. Sanofi is conducting multiple phase three studies designed for patients with hemophilia A or B and with or without inhibitors. And additional phase three data are expected later this year with an NDA submission potentially on track for 2024. And the last program I want to highlight is Sendisran, an RNAi therapeutic targeting complement C5 combined with pizelimab, an antibody against C5 discovered by our partners, Regeneron. And Regeneron are evaluating the role for combination therapy with potent inhibition of C5 in ongoing studies in two complement-mediated diseases, myosin gravis and PNH. The third growth driver for the company comes from our sustainable innovation engine. Here, we'll continue to deliver future growth by finding novel targets, driving pipeline expansion to 2025 and beyond. We've continued to invest in major databases associated with rich genomic and phenotypic data, like the UK Biobank and our future health. We'll also continue to maintain our leadership in RNAi chemistry. We are a platform-based company and push the boundaries of this technology, bringing forward new program enhancements like Icaria platform, the reverse antidote to RNAi knockdown, and the Gemini bisRNAi targeting two genes with one formulation. Extrahepatic delivery provides further opportunities for growth. We've had great success targeting genes in the liver, but it's just one organ system. And there are a myriad of opportunities to target genes outside the liver, CNS, eye, muscle, adipose tissue, even tumors. And we continue to make good progress in this regard. Indeed, we're on the cusp of seeing important data from ALNAPP, which is our first investigational conjugate RNAi therapeutic targeting a gene expressed in the CNS and in development for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease and cerebral amyloid angiopathy. ALNAPP has the potential to offer a highly differentiated approach in Alzheimer's disease by targeting APP upstream of where antibodies currently target. APP also has the potential to act both intracellularly and extracellularly to reduce disease-causing peptides. We believe these initial clinical data with ALNAPP, if positive, will be an important milestone, not just for this particular program, but for our overall CNS platform, where we hope to show that RNAi can achieve clinically relevant degrees of target knockdown in the CNS with a safety and dosing profile to support further development. And we look forward to sharing top-line results from this study in early 2023. So I'd like to wrap up now with a full list of our company goals for 2023. And these show that we have a very exciting year ahead. And uh, in the interest of time, I won't walk through all of these, but at a high level, we look forward to ongoing commercial ex execution from the four Al Nylum-owned products, 
10 clinical readouts from proprietary and partner-led programs. The potential label expansion from Patro and ATTR amyloidosis with cardiomyopathy, assuming successful regulatory review. The first human data for RNAi therapeutics in the CNS and filing two to four new INDs from our organic R&D engine to bring new programs into the clinic and position our nylum for sustainable future growth. Ultimately, we have an amazing platform, but our secret source at our nylum is our people. And we're so proud of everything that we've been able to achieve in this remarkable company, thanks to the employees who are fully committed to our mission. And, you know, we continue to be recognized across biotech and, and other industries but for multiple elements of our culture. Our leadership in scientific innovation, diversity, equity, and inclusion, so important to us, social responsibility, but first and foremost, a steadfast commitment to the patients that we serve. In closing, I hope I've conveyed to you the excitement that I and my colleagues share about building our nylon into a top-tier biopharmaceutical company. We've got a bold vision, but the roadmap to get there is clear and actionable. And I hope that all of you share the same enthusiasm. So I'd like to thank you for your support and, and your attention and uh, now transition to Q&A, which is in Jessica's capable hands. As a reminder, um, if you want to ask a question, raise your hand. We'd love to have it be interactive, um, but I'll start. Uh, so you pre-announced some numbers. Uh, can you remember if it was yesterday or this morning at this point? Um, but it looks like you're seeing really strong uh, conversion over to Mbutra, um, from, to some extent from Onpatro. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamics you're seeing uh, between the two products in planeuropathy? Yeah, happy to do that, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn over to Tolgren but I just really want to underscore how incredibly well-received Ambutra has been by, by, by patients and physicians. And I think it really comes down to the you know, efficacy and safety, but also the quarterly subcutaneous regimen, which essentially helps liberate patients from their disease. And we're seeing, we're, seeing, we're seeing patients being treated earlier in the course of the disease. We're also seeing switches. And uh, that's an area that I think we'd like to elaborate on a little bit. So maybe, Tolga, you can kind of talk about some of the dynamics that we're seeing. Great to be here. It really is exciting to see the progress that we made with Ambutra since the launch, first in the U.S. six months and last November, December period in Japan and Germany. Um, and when you look at the, the progress we made, I think it validates a couple things. One is, first and foremost, there are a lot of patients still at need. Uh, this is a rare disease, and there are thousands of undiagnosed and untreated patients that Ambutra's profile is really providing uh, support. Second is what, what Ivan indicated. It validates the fact that Ambutra's safety, efficacy, and subcutaneous quarterly profile really sets it apart as the potentially to be the standard of care. And last but not least is our commercial capabilities. We built a foundation over five years uh, about the commercial capabilities, and we've been able to, from supporting patient diagnosis securing formulary uh, inclusions, all the way to making sure that the patients get access to this without any headwinds. Those are the, the dynamics. Now, when you look at the, all these points, you essentially see that we've now added nearly double 
the number of patients within the last quarter that we've done historically with Onpatro in every quarter. So we're growing the pie. And last but not least, because the, 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 the profile is so attractive, both patients and, and physicians are switching over to Onpatro. But only that only represents 50% of our current total patient basis. So essentially, this is really growing the pie, and that's what we're really excited about. Yeah, we're really pleased with the dynamic. Um, I think it demonstrates just how well which was being received and the difference that, uh, that we're able to make to patients. And I think, I think the really important point that uh, Tolgamore is that we see this as an opportunity to grow the overall franchise. So, so then how important is the every six-month data and how much of a tailwind could that create on, on, sort of on top of what you're already seeing? Yeah, that, that's a, a, great, a great question. But you know, maybe just to kind of reiterate some of the points we've already made around Patrice, around the quarterly subcutaneous regimen, which is being so incredibly um, well received. Actually, I think, uh, I think beyond our initial um, expectations. And I think, you know, um, six monthly would, would be a nice to have. But it's absolutely not a, a, a must-have. I think what we really have in our hands right now is, is, a, is a winning profile with the current formulation of Ambutra. Anything else, Tolga? Well, I mean, it also, if you think of the, the, the competitive landscape, uh, this, the, the subcutaneous quarterly administration really sets us apart regardless of the six-month data, but obviously with the six-month data, it could, it could certainly help us. Uh, as, as Ivan put it, it's a yeah. nice to have. Yeah. Uh, question in the audience. Can we have a mic up front? Anybody want to ask questions, particularly about maybe our TTR franchise while we're on the topic? Until we're very excited about it. Somebody? Maybe you can just speak up and we can repeat it. For me, it's a Okay. Would it benefit you if you had 100,000 uh, family whole genomes, and in, within each family there was amyloidosis? Would it help you to have that data set? Well, I mean, look, we 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 believe in the power of genetics. We already invest in um, you know, a broad range of. Uh, as I said, genomic and, and phenotypic data sets. So I don't know if you've got anything specifically in mind as you make that uh, comment, but happy to follow up with you afterwards if there's something specific. Well, I was told to ask the question by our chief medical officer. <laughs> He's not here, but it's Dr. Reynolds Delgado, right. who's in the Texas Heart Institute in the Texas Medical Center and with six of the leading uh, cardiologists, primarily transplant people, uh, primarily with amyloidosis, we've developed a, a whole genome screenings of entire families with the amyloidosis. Yeah, well, we'd love to hear more about it, and maybe, um, you know, Pushkar Garg, our chief medical I just officer. happen to have our book. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, so maybe sticking with um, TTR, but switching to the uh, Batistran submission for cardiomyopathy, have you gotten any initial feedback from the FDA on that SNDA, and do you expect a priority review or a standard review timeline? Yeah, look, I'd just like to start off by saying that, um, you know, as many of you know, we aligned with the FDA on the design and the conduct of um, the Apollo B study, and we're absolutely delighted by the results. I mean, flawlessly executed the study. And I shared with you some of the highlights of the data that we were able to generate for Petit Ram, you know, across 
multiple, multiple endpoints, not just the you know, primary endpoint that I uh, described, the six-minute walk test, also the KCCQ, but, but also you know, improvements in cardiac safety, um, patients receiving placebo compared to, that patisserine compared to placebo, numerical benefits and mortality, and, and a number of um, exploratory endpoints. So we feel that what we've been able to uh, submit to the FDA is actually a very compelling um, data package. And of course, it's against the backdrop of significant unmet medical need in this area where patients continue to progress um, despite uh, currently available uh, treatments. We think there's a real need to bring forward an innovation like on Patro for patients with ATT amyloidosis. That being said, the, uh, you know, we expect a standard review and the details uh, of the review by the FDA as they um, consider the risk-benefit will be something that uh, I'm sure they will declare on in due course. And as I said, with the submission of the SNDA in December of last year, uh, we, we expect to produce a date in, in, in quarter four, 2023. We have um, one question on the portal here. Do you expect a advisory committee for that filing? Yeah, you know, I'll... I'll take that. It really is very difficult to make specific comments about you know, the regulatory process. I mean, just to reiterate the fact that we believe that we've submitted a really compelling package. We believe there's significant unmet medical need in this area. And uh, we will await um, the review by the agency. Is there any possibility that given how soon after your PDUFA, the Helios B results will become available, that the FDA could want to see those data before acting on the patisserin filing? I think it's important to note that, I mean, you know, Vitrusa has a completely different molecule um, from Onpatro. The Helios B study is a completely different study, um, you know, measuring outcomes. It's done over a very different, uh, you know, time frame. And I think the other point to make is actually, you know, as I said in my remarks, we will, um, you know, get the uh, Helios B uh, readout at, 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 at in early 2024. So, I, I, I think it's highly unlikely, but, but Pushkar, maybe you want to add a, yeah, some additional perspectives. We've aligned <clears throat> with the FDA on the design of the study. I think what, as, as Yvonne presented, the results are extraordinarily internally consistent, both from the efficacy side, the safety side, and the exploratory data. And I'll also remind, this is an SNDA for a product that's been on the market and now has been treated in over 3,000 patients uh, uh, for the last four years. So I think we feel really good about the data set that we have, and I think that you know, the FDA will be able to evaluate that data set fully uh, and understand the, the implications and, and hopefully reach a successful conclusion in terms of approving it for these patients who, need, who have a dramatic need for new therapies. Uh, we got another question from the audience. The Alzheimer's companies um, have been pretty aggressive in terms of accelerating the process of getting through clinical trials. We now have uh, anti-amyloid drug approved. Yeah. So help us understand what we're going to be looking for in terms of efficacy in this phase one, and then what that means for your development timeline. Yeah. So I'll make a couple of points and then invite uh, Pushkal. To, you repeat the beginning. Of the sorry, I'll make a couple of points and invite Pushkal also to, to add some color. We've got a phase one study ongoing, as I said, in patients with early onset Alzheimer's disease. We um, expect to see those data in early 2023. Now, the study is designed to um, assess safety. It's really important in an in a, in a, in a early study, but also to look at target engagement, and we'll be measuring biomarkers uh, 
um, SAPP Alpha and, uh, and uh, uh, Beta. We're actually very encouraged by um, you know, the progress that's been made around the amyloid hypothesis because we actually think this, this, um, this is an important contributor to how to think about the amyloid hypothesis. And, and we believe that the mechanism of action that we have with our RNA program, ALNAPP, has some real advantages in terms of switching APP off at its source but also acting intracellularly and extracellularly. So we're, we're really excited about, um, about, about, about uh, seeing those uh, uh, data and hope to be able to share those with you um, in the near term. I don't know, Pushka, if you want to make any additional comments. Not much. I mean, maybe just I'll say, again, I think, you know, as Yvonne said, I think it's, it's great to see the progress that's happened in the field. I think these patients, obviously, we all agree, really need new therapies first and foremost. I think it suggests that the hypothesis around addressing amyloid is fundamentally important, and I think we have a very differentiated approach to do that by both addressing intracellular and extracellular amyloid, sorry, as well as, you know, various fragments lengths of, of amyloid by turning off upstream. So we are doing this phase one study. I think it's very important in the sense that we will, A, look at safety and tolerability of administering an RNAi therapeutic for the first time intrathecally. Uh, we'll also be able to get a sense of knockdown, looking at soluble APP, alpha, and beta, and as well as the durability. I'll remind you that in our non-human primate studies, we were able to use a single injection intrathecally and see knockdown for up to six months or more. And so that provides the opportunity for a very interesting profile. Uh, you asked about after that, you know, we'll continue to accelerate and move forward in a single ascending dose and a multiple ascending dose study. And there's a couple of avenues in terms of opportunities to help patients with this disease, both uh, Alzheimer's disease, as well as cerebral amyloid angiopathy, and so we'll determine the development path. And of course, this will also hopefully open up opportunities to address other CNS diseases uh, with RNAi therapeutics as well. So a lot of exciting progress hopefully on the horizon. Yeah, that's a really important point, Pascal, that we see this program as actually as de-risking for our ambitions in the CNS, and uh, there's so many diseases that we'd like to be able to tackle that uh, we're looking forward eagerly to seeing the phase one data from ALNAPP early this year. Jessica, any other questions, anything? Uh, maybe back to TCR, another one that uh, came in on the portal. How do you think about pricing for vitruceran in the context of defaminous generics, especially in Europe? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, pricing, obviously, an important topic. It's, it's clearly a little early to be discussing pricing, but uh, Tolga, you may have a couple of comments that, that would be helpful here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're going to do our best to maximize the asset's value. And when it comes to thinking about different relevant uh, prevalence, uh, with Tristan succeed in CM, I think that's the question about cardiomyopathy, we would be addressing tenfold of the number of patients. Having said that, as Ivan indicated, it's a highly competitive marketplace. I think it's too soon for us to make any, you know, uh, statements around how we would actually price this. So uh, I think it was about a month ago at your um, R&D day, you showed some data on Xylvisoran that um, showed a salt effect. And I was curious if you could just elaborate a little bit on what you think that means for the product or any implications for how you would develop it or how it would be used. Yeah, no, you know, again, just to reiterate that, that you know, we're, we're very pleased with the progress of Zalbisran. We really see Zalbisran uh, having the potential for major impact on uh, hypertension. Remember, this is an area that hasn't had any innovation really for years and years. This is, a, this is a potential kind of breakthrough in the space. 
Actually, you might want to comment specifically on the uh, details of the phase one study, particularly with respect to um, salt, uh, salt depletion. Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, it was a phase one study, so both safety and efficacy were of interest to us. And from a safety perspective, with um, inhibition of angiotensinogen, one of the things to understand fully is, is if the blood pressure is lowered, whether that effect can be exaggerated if you then deplete the patient of salt. And um, so we did that specifically to see whether that would be safely tolerated by individuals, and it was. And so that's very reassuring, preliminarily, it's phase one study, that uh, individuals who are on a drug like Zalbis, Frank, can withstand, you know, ordinary changes in their diet and, and if there are other uh, issues going on in their health. So it was essentially a test of safety, and so we're quite reassured by that. The other aspect um, that, that, you know, we're interested in is if there is an excess effect, then we can correct that readily with a saline infusion by giving salt and water back. So um, I think it was a very comprehensive phase one study, both from an efficacy and safety viewpoint, and we're very pleased with those results. Great. And it's maybe related to the LB surround, but maybe just a bigger picture question is you keep pushing your technology into larger and larger indications, more prevalent patient populations. How do you think about what Alnylam wants to commercialize independently versus what represents a partnering opportunity? Yeah. So, you know, we're very fortunate to have this rich, diverse pipeline, as you say, having programs that uh, address the needs of not just rare diseases but also more prevalent diseases. It gives us a lot of optionality. So, um, you know, we're able to progress the programs um, with investment that we have, and we're very successful in progressing um, all of the programs um, under, our, um, under our control. Um, but, you know, what we need to be open to as we think about um, entering some of these much larger diseases is what is the best way of really maximizing the benefit of these medicines to patients, but also the um, value that, that that we, that we create for the company. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep progressing things um, as we have done, um, but, 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 but open to considering um, the best value creation opportunities for um, programs in our pipeline as they progress. Great, and I think Jeff, is there anything you want to add? No, I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the answer. It, it's a asset by asset assessment that we make in terms of how to maximize the value of the pro specific program. Okay, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.